Hey, welcome guys. If it's your first time here to DHC, my name's John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. As Adam said, we are in the midst of this series that we are calling I Am. And what we're doing all month long is we're taking a look at what are called the I Am statements of Jesus, these profound descriptions that he would use to tell the world who he is uh, and what he can do for us and what we can become through him. So if you know me, and a lot of you guys do know me personally, if you know me, you know that I'm a sports guy, okay? I love, I can't, I can't, okay? I just, there's nothing better in my opinion than watching balls being kicked around and thrown around. It's just, I can't get enough of it. And so last weekend with the Super Bowl, that was a dream come true. To be able to sit there, I mean, now one of the greatest parts of the Super Bowl, other than watching a ball being thrown around, is the commercials. They're, that's just, everybody loves the commercials. What are they going to do? How are they going to outdo themselves from last year? Now, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people are talking about one particular group of commercials, and maybe you saw them. It was Jesus commercials. Now, USA Today did an article on those commercials on Monday. Why does Jesus need a PR guy? Interesting question. And the article talked about uh, the commercials themselves and what the reception was to those commercials and, and who's funding these commercials and what's going on behind the scenes with these commercials. But within this article... They made mention of the latest Pew Research poll that's talking about how people are leaving Christianity at an alarming rate. I got the exact poll for you. Here's from Pew themselves. Now, the Reader's Digest of this very long poll talks about how since the 1990s in America, large number of folks are walking away from the church. Not just church, walking away from the faith. Currently, right now, 64% of Americans would identify themselves as Christians. But if this trend continues, by 2070, that number could be as low as 35%. 64% today, down to 35%. Why do I bring this up? Well, today what I want to do is I want to show you the time that Jesus called himself the bread of life. Now, if you're a Christian in the room, many of you are, we hear this term and we go, ah, oh, it's nice, you know, bread of life. Very, you know, sounds like a devotional your grandmother would read, bread of life. Or, Reminds you of communion. Growing up, we used to sing this song at our church called Break Thou the Bread of Life. Real humdinger, okay? But this seemingly kind of benign statement about bread actually caused hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people, to walk away from Jesus. To look at Jesus and go, I'm out. You lost me. I'm walking away. Now, the account where this is from is, is, quite frankly, it's enormous. It's some 70 verses long. There is so much that can be said about the account itself. There's so much that can be said about the name Bread of Life, but I can't say it all, okay? Trust me, you wouldn't want me to say it all. We'd be here all day long. But what I can say is this. Bread of Life is one of the most theologically potent names that Jesus ever uses. This name taps into imagery from all over Scripture. It pulls from some of the most important moments between man and God. But what I want to do is something a little different today. Rather than focusing on the name and explaining what the name means, because quite frankly, Jesus does that himself. You can go read it for yourself if you're interested. What I want to do is I want to show you people's reaction to this name. That's, that's really where, where it's at. Right? So in light of the Super Bowl, Jesus adds, in light of the Pew Research, that talking about the concerning trend of folks walking away from Jesus. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about doubt. Because doubt is at the heart 
of today's story, this whole bread of life name. And doubt is at the heart of what's happening in this country with that trend. I want to talk to you about when doubt happens, how it happens. I want to talk to you about what it can do to us. And I want to show you how it can actually drive us to walk away from Jesus. So to begin, I think it's important for me, kind of as the guy with the microphone up here, I think it's important for me to just state and put this out there publicly, just so you know, everyone doubts. A lot of churches don't want you to know that, but that's the truth, okay? You doubt, I doubt, everybody doubts, okay? Jesus' own disciples doubted him. They, you read it for yourself. They did not believe that he was who he claimed to be until the resurrection. Peter doubted Jesus when he walked on the water. John the Baptist doubted Jesus when he was locked in prison. No one is exempt from doubt, which means at some point in your spiritual journey, you will doubt. Now, I would argue that when it comes to doubts, they generally, not always, but generally fall into what I'll call two categories, right? We, we find ourselves asking the question, well, are Jesus' teachings worth it? Like, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it worth it to become a Christian? I mean, is it worth it when I have to give some things up, right? Is it worth it when, when being a Christian makes dating more difficult? It does. Is it worth it when, when, when you're being a Christian like causes me to quote-unquote miss out on some stuff in this life? Is it worth it when Jesus' teachings often put me at odds with culture? Is this whole Jesus thing worth it, right? And when doubt strikes, we often find ourselves asking the question, are Jesus' teachings true? Or for that matter, is the Bible true? Can I believe any of it? Can I believe all of it? Can I trust it? Are the teachings of Jesus worth it, and are they true? Most churches, most Christian leaders, in an effort to combat doubt and to help folks through doubt, they tend to focus on the is it true part, right? And they get involved in what's called apologetics. Maybe you've heard this term before. Kind of sounds like they're making an apology. They're not. This just means a defense. They're giving a defense. They're, they're defending the faith in a sense that, hey, if we can help you overcome your intellectual doubts, if I can answer every single question you have about the Bible and faith and Jesus, then you're going to be okay. And apologetics are important. They are. And it is important to be able to answer folks' questions, and it's important to be able to give a defense as to why you believe the things that you believe. But in my opinion, this is one man's opinion, very few people walk away from Jesus because of intellectual doubt. Very few people say, you know, I was this close. It was, you know, you almost had me. I was this close to saying yes to Jesus. But uh, Noah's Ark, a big flood, animals, come on, I'm out. I'm out. Right? You know, I was, I was this close to accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but Adam and Eve, come on, I'm out. Right? Very few people, it happens, but very few people walk away from Jesus because of intellectual doubt. Most walk away because following Jesus is too hard. It's just too demanding. Now, the message of Jesus is incredibly simple, but it is incredibly demanding. And when they look at their life and they ask the question, is faith in Jesus and, 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 and what he expects of us and how he's called us to live, is it worth it? They say, no, it's not. And they walk away. Today what I want to do is I want to show you one of the greatest examples of doubt in all of scripture. And it is so relevant for us today and it perfectly mirrors what so many of us face on a daily basis basis. So let me kind of set the scene for the story. 
Jesus has just performed the miracle known as the feeding of 5,000. Maybe you've heard of this. If you haven't, one day he's teaching on the side of a mountain and this gigantic crowd shows up to hear him preach. And the day's getting later, it's getting dark. And so his disciples go over and say, hey, Jesus, you know, we might want to think about feeding these folks. It's kind of getting kind of late. And so a conversation ensues about, okay, how are we going to handle this? We're going to go into town and get a couple of trays of food. And it's kind of far. Finally, Jesus says, I got this. I'll handle this. He then proceeds to miraculously turn five loaves of bread, two fish, into enough food to feed 5,000 men, plus their families, which means this could be upwards of 10,000, 15,000, or more people. Now, I want to make sure we understand the significance of this feeding, okay? Because this is not like what we call the DHC muffin ministry out there, okay? This is not, okay, this is like he ain't out there handing Krispy Kremes to these folks, okay? He was feeding a starving nation. These folks lived in a time where food was never a guarantee. They may have lived in the Roman Empire, and Rome handed out bread daily to the citizens living within the walls of Rome, but out in the provinces, like Judea, where these folks are, they're starving. And so in their mind, they, they, they witness this, and they think, well, God has sent us a Savior who's handing out food. And they start to think, you know, Jesus needs to be our king. Because obviously he can end poverty. Look what he's just done. I mean, he can, he can restore justice. He can, he can defeat Rome. We read, now when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. This was not God's plan for Jesus. And so he sketchy bounced, okay? He did the old Irish goodbye, as my family calls it. Now, the next day, his folks wake up. And they come find Jesus. Why? Well, because they woke up hungry again. And so they decided, well, let's go find our meal ticket known as Jesus Christ. And so they show up and Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You guys are, you're, you're focused on the food I gave you. And you've completely missed the message behind the meal. And so they say, oh, okay. We'll do another miracle. Feed us. And, and then we'll believe. And so Jesus, he's like, this is something's up here. This is not, okay. And so he uses this as a teaching opportunity. And he's like, you guys want bread, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the bread you gave, I gave you yesterday was good, but, but you're still hungry, right? Yeah, okay. Listen up. Leaning close. Leaning close. You listening? Okay. I am the bread of life. Here's our statement. I am the bread of life. See, you're more concerned about perishable things like food and you have spent considerable energy chasing me around this lake trying to find me for food that you're going to eat, but you're going to be hungry again. And what you need to do is spend your energy looking for eternal life. And that's why I say that I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again, for I have come down from heaven. To which the crowd says, uh, yeah. <laughs> you did not come down from heaven. John paints a picture of the scene. It says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Murmuring indicates discontent. Kind of like that confused sound that runs through a crowd when they're angry, right? Or they're in opposition. I mean, all of a sudden, right, this crowd that loved him, wanted to put him on their shoulders and make him king, all of a sudden they're getting a little testy. 
because Jesus seems to be taking things a little too far. Bread from heaven, Jesus, <laughs> my man. You're from Nazareth. We know your mom and dad. We have met Mary and Joe. What are you talking about? Jesus replies, stop complaining about what I said. I love that. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't walk back these statements. He's like, stop complaining. And then he doubles down. And I want to read to you exactly what Jesus says next, because what he's about to say might have an unsettling effect on you. It might confuse you. It might lose you. It might make you cheer. It might make you angry. But Jesus said these words for a reason in this moment. And I want you to hear the words the way the crowd heard those words to see if it makes you feel the way that it made them feel. Here you go. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day for my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Crowd goes silent. Jaws are dropped, eyes are wide open. And it's like, oh boy, this has taken a turn. John describes their reaction. On hearing it, meaning what he just said, many of his disciples, not the 12, but the followers, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Who can embrace this? Who can go along with this? Who wants to be associated with that? Now, notice what's going on here. Jesus' teaching wasn't hard to understand. It was hard to accept. Like, there's no doubt that this crowd, you know, found Jesus' words somewhat mysterious. I think we'd all agree he's being slightly cryptic here, okay? And it wasn't that they took issue with the parts they didn't understand. Rather, it was the parts they did understand that they found so disturbing. Which begs the question, what do we do with hard teaching? Because let's be honest, even for us lifelong Christians in the room, there are things that Jesus says, and there are things in the Bible that make us wince, that, that make us wish it, it, it weren't in there. But guess what? It's in there. So the big question is, what, what do we do in those moments? What do we do when we're confronted with hard teaching? Do we embrace hard teaching? Right? Do, we, do, we say, um, do we say, you know, I don't understand this all, but, I'm, I, you know, but, but, but God is sovereign in this world and his ways are higher than my ways, and, you know, uh, but it's, it's, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So in faith and in love, I'm going to embrace the tension that I feel and I'm going to embrace the hard teaching. Do we embrace the hard teaching or do we walk away from hard teaching? Do we walk away from scripture that we don't like? Do we walk away from Jesus? Do we say, I don't like that. That's disturbing, so I'm going to walk away. This crowd said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who wants to be associated with it? And so Jesus' followers unfollowed him. That crowd left. Now remember, Jesus was the kind of guy who was always surrounded by a crowd. You read the Gospels. Anywhere he went, people followed him. They wanted to be in its midst. People who weren't like him, liked him, wanted to be in his company. And now Jesus is losing the crowd for the very first time in his ministry. And that's a problem. 
Because it was that crowd that kept Jesus and the 12 disciples safe. Those Jewish leaders who were after Jesus wouldn't touch him because of that crowd. But now the crowds are leaving. And it's getting a little dangerous. John says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Meaning, this right here was a hinge point in history. It was a tipping point for Jesus' ministry. Now, the 12 disciples, they're watching all of this unfold before their very eyes. And they are seeing the crowds leaving, and they're starting to wonder, is this worth it? I mean, is, is, is what he's saying even true? And come on, you'd be thinking the same exact thing. And so Jesus sees these thoughts swirling around inside the disciples' head, and he asks them the mother of all pregnant questions. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? See, Jesus can see into the hearts of men, and he knows these guys, they're about to pack it in. It's gotten a little hard to follow Jesus. They're not sure it's worth it. In this pivotal moment, Jesus sees that their doubt is about to take them out. It's about to take them off course. It's about to take them away from, from God. Now, here's the thing. In this moment, these guys have no idea what hangs in the balance of their decision to stay or to walk away. Now, Jesus knows the future. They don't. Jesus knows that, like, right around the corner, He's going to use these men to shape history, but they don't know any of that. And they are this close. I mean, like, this close to walking away from it all because things have gotten hard. Because, Jesus, your, 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 your teachings are hard to accept, and we're just not sure it's worth it, especially since the crowds are leaving now. So Jesus looks at these guys, and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And this is such a hugely relevant question for every single one of you here today. Because the day is coming, I'm telling you. The day is coming when you will consider leaving. The day is coming when you're going to consider, you know, packing it up and walking away from church or, or Christianity or Christ. And I can tell you exactly when it's going to happen because it generally falls into three categories in our life. Generally speaking, we think about leaving during times of transition. From middle school into high school, from high school into college, from college into your first job, from that job you had up in Ohio or wherever, or to that job you took down here in Fort Lauderdale. And maybe, you know, you used to be in an environment that took Christianity seriously. But now you're in a new job, you're in a new school, you're in a new city that it's not against Christianity. They just don't care. And you find yourself all alone in your belief. And it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian. And so you're tempted to walk away because you're just not sure it's worth it. We're also tempted to walk away sometimes because of our relationships. You know, you're single and you're doing everything right, right? But you find yourself in a city that has a completely different view of morality than you do. And you find yourself in a dating pool that just doesn't respect the idea of timing and waiting and, and and it's just getting harder and harder and harder to meet people because of your Christian beliefs. Now, here's the thing. You see all your friends, they're getting married. They're doing whatever they want. They're getting married. And, you know, you start asking yourself, is this whole Jesus thing worth it? Because this is hard. And it's making dating very difficult. 
and very confusing, and it's led to a number of very awkward conversations. So, do I toss away my beliefs and leave? Because if I do, I'll know I'll meet somebody. And lastly, we consider leaving when we're in times of unanswered prayer. You're in a tough place. You're struggling, okay? And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed. And it seems like God is silent. Now, here's the thing. You've always believed, okay? You've always believed. But believing doesn't seem to be working now. And you're wondering, am I just spinning my tires here? What? what? Why am I holding on to this whole Jesus thing? It doesn't seem to be doing anything. And it's like in that moment, Jesus reads your mind, feels your pain, puts his hand on your shoulder, and asks, well, you don't want to leave too, do you? And so Jesus looks at his disciples in this pivotal moment of their life when they were about to walk away from everything, missing out on all that God would have done through them when Peter, who never says anything right, finally says something brilliant. You want to leave too, do you? Peter says, Lord, now, before I show you what he said, I'm just going to let you know, this is why we're here today. Everything that we're talking about leads up to what Peter's about to say. And so if you hear nothing else, hear what Peter's about to say. Lord, to whom shall we go? This is the question that every single one of us has to ask when doubt rears its ugly head. When we find ourselves in the midst of whatever, when we find ourselves on the verge of walking away, we got to ask ourselves, to whom shall I go? Peter understood the significance of this question. Because yeah, he saw that things were getting a little dangerous to be a follower of Christ. And yeah, it was a sacrifice to be a follower of Jesus. And yeah, there were many times, more than he'd like to admit, that he had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And yeah, the way Jesus called him to live would sometimes put him at odds with culture. But if not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? Peter's like, guys, if we're going to walk away from Jesus and it seems like we're like this close to doing that, we better know to whom or to what we are walking. And folks, we better know as well. Because when you walk away from Jesus, let me tell you something, you're walking towards something else. And according to the latest Pew Research, people are walking away from Jesus at an alarmingly. And I'll be honest with you, in my time in ministry, I've heard too many stories of folks who walked away from church, walked away from their faith, walked away from Jesus because of any number of reasons, good reasons, and it shipwrecked their lives. So Peter says, to whom shall we go? Lord, you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, nobody else is offering us eternal life. Jesus, we believe that you are the bread of life because you feed our souls. So yeah, this is a little hard. And yeah, at this point, we don't really know if it's worth it. But to whom shall we go? Here's the amazing thing about this statement. In this one short conversation, these 12 disciples have completely reversed course. They went from, we're thinking about leaving, to where are we going to go? Remember, Jesus never said, hey, <clears throat> before you go, just so you know, if you stay with me, you will go on to write the New Testament. 
What's that? Don't worry about it. If you stay with me, you will go on to start churches all over the world. If you stay with me, you will be a part of a movement that changes the very fabric of this universe. He didn't say any of that. And that crowd is still walking away. And being a follower of Jesus still puts them at odds with culture. And now it's more dangerous than ever to say that you're a follower of Jesus. Nothing has changed in these men's lives except for the clarity that was achieved by asking the question, to whom shall we go? Now, here's what I love about these disciples, and here's what I love about Jesus. After this, they would continue to doubt Jesus right up until the very end. <laughs> the, I mean, like, and Jesus never once got mad at them. He never gave up on them. And he never tossed them out because of their doubt. But after the resurrection, everything changed. All doubt disappeared. And God would use this former group of doubters to write the New Testament, to travel the world to share the gospel, to speak boldly in front of Jewish leaders and Roman officials. God would use them to change the world and to think. Doubt almost took them out. They almost missed out on all that God had planned for them. But after asking, to whom shall we go? They decided, it is worth it. And it is true. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? It's your first time here at DHC. Every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week I was thinking about today's account in the Gospel of John. And it reminded me of my own name, John. I am named John because John didn't let doubt take him out. Some of you here today are named Peter and Mark and Matthew because they didn't let doubt take them out. But it almost did. Here's why this is important. I don't know what's going on in your life. Okay? Maybe nobody knows what's going on in your life right now. Okay? I don't know if you're in a time of transition. I don't know if it's a relationship issue. I don't know if you're struggling with unanswered prayer. I don't know if you're in the middle of a storm. I do not know how close you are to walking away, to packing it in. Maybe you're here today and you had a conversation with God and you go, God, I'm giving you one last chance. I'm going to show up today. I'm giving you one last chance before I walk away from you. But if you, like those disciples, are trying to figure out, is it worth it to stay? All I can tell you is this. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to stay or to leave. Because if you leave, and I'm just telling you, that's your prerogative. You can leave. God is not going to stop you. But if you leave, you will never know what God could have done in your life. If you walk away, you will never know what God could have done in your marriages. If you walk away, you'll never know what he could have done in your relationships and in your family and in your finances and in your career and in your mental health. And I understand. I get it. Trust me. Jesus' teachings are hard. And I understand that he's asked you to live in a way that often puts you at odds with culture. And I know you're asking yourself, is it worth it? You'll never know if you go. Disciples almost 
walked away from it all. You saw it for yourself. But they were saved by asking one simple question. To whom shall we go? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, if I know one thing, I know there's someone here today or watching online or listening in the future that is this close. That is this close to saying I'm done. God, we're just humans. And we struggle. You know, you've called us live by faith, which means we don't understand what's happening to us. We don't know what's around the corner, God, but you do. God, I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would not let our doubts take us out. In the midst of confusion and hard teaching and things that make it difficult to be a Christian in this world, I pray that you would give us the strength to hold on and to know that it is worth it. And what you say is true. And that if we say yes to you, we have been made right with the creator of this universe. And that you are a God who is personal and who loves us. Who is in control of our lives. Who is for us. And who is working everything that happens to us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Who is working it all together for our future good. God, give us the strength to trust you more. And we will give you all the glory. You are the bread of life. And we ask this in that name. Amen.